Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture reading today is taken from 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that this, that it is the last hour. Please be seated. So earlier this week, a gentleman called and uh, Jeannie put him to me through the phone and his name was Charles Cheryl, Cheryl, excuse me. So, and and he, he called, he said, he said, you know, I was made to, to be baptized when I was a kid. He said, he said, but I want to do it right this time. And, and I want to do it, you know, for, for the right reasons and rededicate my life to God. And uh, Wednesday, was it Wednesday, Jeannie? Tuesday, Wednesday, somewhere thereabouts, he came in and Jacob uh, immersed Charles Sherrell into Christ. So I, I've looked around, I've not seen him, but anyway, I thought you'd like to know that, thought maybe you'd want to pray for a new brother in Christ because God is good and all the time. So remember Charles Sherrell and uh, Hopefully, I don't see him here, but hopefully uh, when he comes, be able to, to introduce him to you. Now, the word antichrist is one of those words that always excites the mind. It's, it's something that many people talk about and everybody has their ideas about what exactly it means. And for the most part, people think that the antichrist is one individual who's going to come around the end times and that's going to usher in the coming of the Lord and all these other sorts of things. Uh, you go back as far as the third and fourth centuries, those church theologians in those times, they believed that the Roman Empire was the Antichrist. Then you go forward in history uh, during the Crusades, and the popes were saying that the Turks were the Antichrists. Then you get to the Reformation, and the Reformers were saying that the popes were the Antichrists. And then you go on throughout history, Napoleon Bonaparte was the Antichrist. Uh, the Puritans said that Cromwell was the Antichrist. And you have Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin. So, you know, everybody, if, if there's somebody you don't like, all you got to do is call them the Antichrist. But we're not so much concerned with what everybody says as much as we are what Scripture has to say. And the first thing I point out to you, is Revelation, the very last book of the Bible that so many people use about end times thing. Revelation does not mention Antichrist, period, full stop. You can read from 1-1 to the very end of the book and you'll never see the Antichrist mentioned in the book of Revelation, though it's often one of the books used to kind of formulate the idea. But all the references to the Antichrist appear in First and Second John. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to look along with me at these passages, uh, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 23. We're just going to read them 
Uh, we'll go from there to chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, and then 2 John 1, 7. These are the only mention, mentions of the Antichrist. So chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, beginning verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. And it, notice this, even now, now, present tense, first century, even now, many Antichrists, not just one, plural, many, have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. Now that's a key point. When John writes that they went out from them, he's saying these are folks that used to be a part of the church, they used to be faithful to the Lord, but they have since left us and they are now teaching something totally different. So they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Now, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about Jesus Christ. But uh, we think of it as a proper name. But it, it is and it isn't. Christ is a title. Jesus is a name. Uh, Jesus derived from the Hebrew name Yeshua, Joshua in our English language. Joshua meaning God is salvation. Pretty good name for Jesus, don't you think? God is salvation. Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew term Messiah, which means anointed one. So when John is writing, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the anointed or the Christ, the Messiah? The, it's not necessarily a proper name so much as it is a title. And you may remember all the way back in Matthew when Jesus had Peter, James, all the disciples around, they were in Caesarea Philippi. And he asked them a couple of questions. Question number one, who do men say that I the son of man am? They said, well, Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets. So right, everybody had an idea. Everybody said that Jesus was somebody just not who he was. And so Jesus asked the second question, who do you say that I am? And that's when Simon Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the anointed one. So this was a confession that goes back as far as we can imagine. Anyway, you look back in your passage at 1 John 2. He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So if a person comes along and they think, well, Jesus is just a good moral teacher, but not the Christ, that's Antichrist. If a person comes along and thinks Jesus is a good religious holy man, but he's not necessarily Savior, that's Antichrist. And there are some traditions and some religions that teach things similar to that. They teach that Jesus is a good moral person. They teach that Jesus might have even been a prophet. They teach that he was even a religious person, but he wasn't God's son. He wasn't the anointed. That, according to John, is Antichrist. So go to the next passage, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 of 1 John. 
John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. When you look at what John has to say, he's not saying that the Antichrist is someone who's to come when the second coming comes upon us, I guess you could say. But he's saying that the Antichrist now is. And in his day, there were a group of Christians, they were called Gnostics. Uh, Gnosis from Greek means to know, knowledge. The Gnostics, they believed in a, a lot of Greek philosophy, but a little bit of Christian doctrine. But their philosophy, uh, they, they were teaching and were taught that everything of a material nature is inherently evil. And so rather than bend their philosophy to their Christianity, they were bending their Christianity to their philosophy. Now that's a big problem, right? We don't take the, the, the knowledge of men and the knowledge of the world and make it suit our Christianity. We take our Christianity and we let it inform us how to think, if you will, philosophically or otherwise. So they believe that because everything of a material nature is inherently evil, Jesus Christ could not have come in the flesh because flesh is matter, matter is inherently evil. So they said he only appeared to come in the flesh. He really came as an apparition, as a phantom, as a spirit, not in the flesh. And John says anyone who doesn't confess that Jesus came in the flesh, this is the Antichrist. Now here's the way people reason today. Let's say that this is 21st century, and John is writing this about these Christians who have gone out from them, who teach Jesus didn't come in the flesh. The way Christians think today is they'll say, you know what, it's okay. If you want to believe that, you just go right ahead and believe it. I don't necessarily agree with it, because I believe this. But you know what, you're as much Christian as I am. Compromise. That's how Christians think today, compromise. Now, there are a lot of things that we can't know or that we can say are matters of interpretation and opinion, but there are some things, many of which covered in the Scriptures, that settle all the matters. And to say anything that deviates from that, that is not Christianity informing us. That is our secular worldly philosophy bending our Christianity. And that's not how it ought to work. They were allowing their knowledge of philosophy to dictate how they interpreted their Christianity. We got to be careful not to let that same thing happen. And that's really the issue with a lot of society. You know, the world's going to teach us a great many things. The law will say that some things are okay, some things are in the interest of equality, equity, whatever EQ word you want to use. And as far as the law is concerned, that's the law's business to run things that way. But the law may have one stand on it, society may have one stand on it, but if God has a different one, that's the one that matters. 
And so rather than going, well, you know, it's such a small thing. Did Jesus really come in the flesh or did he not? Does it even really matter? John says, yes, it does. But Christians today would have looked at John and they would have said, he's being legalistic. He's being too fundamentalist. And that's the thing. If you really want to try and shut someone up, throw out one of these terms that has really been conflated and made to be evil, and usually you'll get the other person to shut up. One term that's often thrown around with huge liberality, racist. You're a racist. Nobody wants to be called that. And so a lot of people will just hush. So if we were to judge what John is saying by modern standards, it simply wouldn't stand. So that tells us modern standards mean very little in view of inspired Scripture. Okay, the last passage, 2 John chapter 1, verse 7. For many deceivers have got... By the way, 2 John is right after 1 John, if you needed help navigating. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Guess what? These three passages are all that the Bible has to say about Antichrist. Full stop. That's it. Now think about all the things that maybe you've heard or maybe you thought you knew and doesn't conform to what John has said. Most of us probably not, right? If you read some popular level books such as the Left Behind series, it might say something different. Or if you listen to certain televangelists or certain preachers, you might have heard something different. Or if you've watched certain movies even, you might have a different conclusion. But this is all that Scripture has to say. And these are the only, what, one, two, three, four, five mentions. Three in the first passage and one in each of the last two. These are the only explicit mentions of Antichrist. Sorry to let you down. I'm sure it would have been a lot nice, nicer and exciting if it had been something great. But I want to also note that John mentioned many, not one. The notion that there is one Antichrist is something not found in Scripture. And he wrote of them, I want you to note, as being present and not as some end-time person. They were there even in his own day. And what he said was, one who is the Antichrist denies not only that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed, but they also deny that he came in the flesh. Those are the only two descriptions attached in the scriptures to Antichrist. So when we look beyond all that, and, and let me add to that, why, was it, why would it really matter if Jesus came in the flesh or not? Well, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read that if Jesus did not die and rise from the dead, then the whole gospel's a lie and our faith is in vain. That's why it matters what we teach and what is taught about the person of Jesus Christ. Did he come in the flesh? Yes. Does that matter? Yes, absolutely. Now, another passage, if you have your Bibles, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is a passage where many people read the Antichrist into 
this passage, but it, that term is never mentioned. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12, uh, if you have a heading in your Bible, as I do, mine says the great apostasy, that is the falling away, that is the, 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 uh, the adherence to false teaching. And there's the mention of a man of lawlessness, some translations have, or a man of sin, but Antichrist is never mentioned here. So let's look at this, verses 1 through 12. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away, that is the apostasy, comes first. And the man of sin, some of your Bibles may say the man of lawlessness, is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above, above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the work of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure and unrighteousness. So a few points on this passage. Uh, Paul is writing explicitly about the second coming of Jesus. So if you want a time frame for this, that's when. Is that now? Was it then? Well, has Jesus come yet? So if he speaks, this is even future for us. We don't even know the fullness of what this passage has to say. Secondly, apostasy comes first, then the man of sin and lawlessness, who is called the son of perdition. Here's something that's interesting. John 17, verse 12, that same phrase, the son of perdition, is used in reference to Judas Iscariot. Just if you wanted to have that little factoid uh, in the back of your mind. And this is someone who opposes God and exalts himself above God. Okay? When you think about apostasy, you think about the falling away, people not adhering to sound doctrine, folks have been doing that ever since the first century. Paul, throughout all his letters, even John in his letters, write about people who are no longer faithful to the Lord or they're no longer faithful as members of the body of Christ, but they've gone out and they've started their own churches. You ever hear about somebody starting their own church? Don't go to it. It needs to be the Lord's church. Yeah, I'm sorry. You cannot start a church. If it's new, it's not scriptural. Because the church has been around since the first century A.D. 
They've started this new church. What's new about it? The building, okay. The, the, the furnishings, okay. But if it's new in all that they believe, think, say, do, whatever the case is, be careful. Who was it? I was talking to somebody this week, and um, hang on, it'll come to me because I think it makes a good point. Oh, I met this guy yesterday and was talking to him, and, and we were talking about church and things like that. And uh, he had made this statement, you know, about how COVID has really hurt the church in, in many ways. I said, yeah, you know, before COVID, we, we were this many coming. And, you know, and he's like, well, what are you now? And I said, well, we're this many. He said, well, what, where'd everybody go? I said, well, some of them got mad and went somewhere else because they didn't want to wear, wear a mask to church. He said, are you serious? I said, yeah. And, and that's okay. If, as long as they're going and they're faithfully serving the Lord, I, I really don't care, you know, uh, because some people who, who, who uh, <laughs> this is going to sound ugly, but it's really how I feel. Pray for me, forgive me, whatever I need. But if you're looking for an excuse to go, you'll find one at anything. And in all honesty, my thoughts are, if you don't want to be here, I'd rather you go. Because if you force yourselves to stay, you're going to make everybody around you miserable. And we don't need that toxicity. I'd rather not have it. Now, if that's the wrong way of looking at it, so be it. Um, but, you know, that's just how I think. Well, so we were talking about it. And I said, here's the problem. He said he made a statement. Uh, and I can't remember what he said. I wish I could. But he made a statement. And I said, that's only something that an American Christian would ever entertain. Oh, I remembered it. Thank you. He said, he, he said, yes, so many people preach a prosperity gospel. I said, that's an American thing. Okay, a, a good friend of mine, well, uh, an acquaintance, a fellow minister, he has done mission work in Tanzania. And he lived over there a few years with his spouse and, and children. And he, he posted a picture years ago of how they were meeting. And they had about two or three rows of fold-out chairs right next to the outside of a building, and they had a little awning built over top of them. That was church. In America, we say, if the seats aren't padded, if the air conditioning isn't on, if the preacher goes over 30 minutes, you see what I'm saying? And some of those Tanzanians walked by foot an hour one way just to go sit on those folded out chairs outside in the African heat underneath a little awning and they worship for about an hour and a half to two hours. Someone asked me, Stephen, have you ever been to a mission outside of the United States? No, I've not. And I probably won't ever go. Why? Because if I come back here after seeing what people are willing to do elsewhere... I will be so bitter at the church in America. We're spoiled, folks. Spoiled, plum, rotten. And sometimes our Christianity is nominal. Sometimes it's, do I feel like going to church Sunday? Well, I really don't. We stayed out a little late. Boy, I'd sure like to sleep in. It's the only one day a week that I have to sleep in. I'm so glad that God doesn't think how we think. Boy, this cross is heavy. I sure have taken a beating. Nobody has stuck around. They've all ran and forsaken me. I think I'll just give up right here. No. He went all the way. 
Sorry, I, I got to preaching there and I got off topic. So, okay, go back to this passage. Paul, in verse 5, he, this is something he had already discussed with these Christians. And so they would have fully understood what he was talking about, whereas we may have to try and figure it out. And finally, verses 8 through 10, this person will be destroyed at the coming of Jesus. So who is this person? I don't know. When Jesus comes, we'll probably all know, be like, oh, yeah, that's who it was. But right now, nobody knows. So whenever the second coming is, that is when all this stuff is going to happen. It says nothing whatsoever about the Antichrist. Nothing whatsoever. So, okay. Now that I've dashed your dreams and your hopes and what we've all known and been taught and read and watched about the Antichrist, now you know only five mentions, all of them in First and Second John, present day, plural, had to do with denying Jesus was the Christ and had to do with denying that he came in the flesh. So do me a favor, uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, if you're in 2 Thessalonians, just go left, to chapter 5. <clears throat> So a teacher at a school one day had a special guest come in and, you know, the gentleman came in, he talked to the students, I think about fifth, fifth grade or so. And uh, at the end of it, he, he made a deal with the kids. He said, he said, okay, he said, I'm going to come back. And when I come back, whoever's desk is the neatest and most orderly, I'm going to give them a prize. And so they asked him, they said, when are you going to come back? He said, I can't tell you that. So a little girl, she was known for being messy and disorganized. Uh, she said, I'm going to win that prize. And of course, all the students looked and they're like, yeah, you. They said, why are you? Because your desk is always out of order. She says, well, I, I'm going to clean it at the beginning of every week. And so the kid said, well, Suppose he should come at the end of the week. She said, I'm going to clean it every morning. Okay, well, what if he comes at the end of the day? So this little messy girl, bless her heart, she says, I know what I'm going to do now. I'm just going to keep it clean. Because she didn't know when the man would come nor when the prize would be given. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 1 through 4. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Here's the point. We don't know. And because we don't know, we need to be ready. We need to be ready. So when I was in high school, I came home uh, one day, shared this story before, and the door was a little ajar, and I was always the last one to leave. And I was like, I know I shut that door. But I opened the door, and the house has been ransacked. We'd been robbed. And you know what? <clears throat> those thieves didn't have the courtesy to let us know when they were coming. 
That's usually how thieves work, isn't it? Unexpected. Now, what could we have done to prepare for that? Well, you look at it, you're like, well, we could have had a better deadbolt. We could have had a security system. Could have had a big dog, you know. Could have had cameras, you know. There's so many things we could have done to prepare for that. It may not have still stopped it, but we'd have been ready. So when Jesus comes, are you ready? The greatest preparation that a person can ever make is that starting point. That preparation of I have faith that Jesus is the Christ, that He is God's one and only Son. That confession of faith, then being buried with Christ in baptism and having our sins washed away, that is the beginning point. And we live faithfully, God willing, not perfectly, faithfully as best as we're able to, so that when that time comes, we're not caught off guard by it. So a, a friend of mine he called me one time. You know, when you have friends that leave ministry and they go into sales, you're like, I'll be getting a call sooner or later. And so I got a call and, and we were talking. And, uh, he was telling me about the, the supplemental insurances that he sells. And now some of you may go, I don't agree with that. And that's fine. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just a, I'm trying to sell you Jesus, but I'm trying to make a point by this. So he, he you know, my thing is, I always want to be prepared in the event something were to happen to me. So I've got life insurance policy. We've got health care. We've got, you know, a, a will, which we need to update. Uh, we've got different types of insurances. Because I'm like, you know, if something ever happened to me, I want Steph and Cole and Bree to be okay and kind of have the expenses covered, right? You know, I don't want to be put in the poorhouse. So I make all this preparation and I may never need it may never have to call and go, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to write a check. And if I don't, that's fine. But if I ever were to, I've got it. I'm ready. We all do this. We do it for our children coming, our, your grandchildren coming, college, uh, weddings, retirement. We're all about planning, the majority of us. But it doesn't matter how well planned and prepared you are for life if you've not been prepared for death or the second coming of Jesus. So make those preparations. And we'll be glad to assist you just as we did Mr. Sherrill earlier this week. And the previous two weeks we had two others, Brock and Kendall, who put on Christ in baptism. They're prepared. You come be prepared too if you're not already. Come as we stand and sing.